Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 67 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, we're talking about play and playfulness in the music teaching studio. Welcome, beautiful teachers. I'm sure you have heard the quote before that is in the title of this episode. Maria Montessori said that play is the work of the child. And I wanted to take today's show to talk about just what that means. What does it mean for play to be the work of the child? And why is that important? Why does it matter? Why do I focus so much on play and playfulness on my blog, in my vibrant music teaching community? and everywhere else that I publish content online and in what I do with my own students. Why is play important? And why is it the work, specifically, of the child? Well, in one article that I looked up on a Montessori blog, on one of the many Montessori blogs that I read in the process of putting this podcast together, they talked about the different definitions of work, or not even different definitions, but just different slants on the definition. So they gave the example of the difference between, oh, I have to work today versus it is my life's work. So I thought that was an interesting distinction. They're really very different ways of using the word work with the same definition. Are you talking about, oh, I have to get my work done? Or are we talking about it is my work? It's what I do. It's what's important. And I really think that's what Montessori meant, as they suggested in that article that it was what was important for the child, that it was valuable work that they were doing. I also think, and I never met Maria Montessori, so I don't know whether I'm right in this, but for me, it means that it is also productive. So that the play children are doing produces a result, and the result is brain development and then learning about the world, right? But it is productive in some sense i.e. it is work. It's not just messing around, but it's important and it's productive. Now, another article I was looking up, which was on mariamontessori.com, gave these five different parts of play in Montessori education, which I thought were interesting. So these are five quotes taken from that article. Play is self-chosen and self-directed. Players are always free to quit. Play is an activity in which means are more valued than ends. Play is guided by mental rules. Play is non-literal, imaginative, marked off in some way from reality. 
Play involves an active, alert, but non-stressed frame of mind. So those are five different descriptions of what play actually means within Montessori education and more generally, and they went into more detail in that great article on mariamontessori.com as it applies to Montessori education. But I think we can draw some things from those five quotes and also from another article where they said two of the parts of their definition were firstly that it was voluntary, enjoyable, purposeful and spontaneous and that play was also creativity expanded using problem-solving skills, social skills, language skills and physical skills. Okay, so I'm throwing a lot of definitions at you and they don't mean anything to us music teachers quite yet, but I wanted to give some background on why I brought this Maria Montessori quote in here and why I think it's interesting to look at a Montessori perspective on this. But what about when it comes to music lessons? Which parts of this, these definitions and these ideas about play are most relevant to us and can be most useful as we try to change the way that we teach? Well, there are actually four parts that I'd like to pick out from this. The first one is from that first quote I read, that play is self-chosen and self-directed. Players are always free to quit. Now, this isn't applicable to us in terms of quitting piano lessons, although certainly it is, right? Most students are pretty much free to quit. Anytime that they like, no parent is going to literally stop them, or very few will, completely prevent them if they insist that they want to quit. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I think we can take from this is that for things to be playful, for us to include a sense of play in our lessons, there has to be some element of choice. And at different levels and in different circumstances, this can mean different things. So for example, if you have a student, a teen student, and you're letting them choose some of their repertoire, some of their pieces, so that they get to include pop songs or Beethoven or whatever it is that they want to do, that's important. That allows them to engage with the learning process. But it's also, especially on the younger student side, about giving them some choice in the activities they're doing. So whether that's that we let them choose between two games that would accomplish the same objective for us, whether we let them choose the order of their lessons, so it's working in a way that suits them or that appeals to them in terms of the progression through the things that we're doing, or whether it is that we let them choose pieces or choose what types of things they learn about each day. When they talk in Montessori about play being self-chosen and self-directed, that is true, but they're talking about that within a structure. You know, they say play is self-chosen, the, the kids are doing things that are self-chosen, but they're not, you know, allowed to randomly leave the classroom and run around in circles on the green, and they don't do that. It's self-chosen and self-directed within a framework where everything is educational, right? So we can apply that same process to our music lessons where we're giving students some choice and control. And whenever we find a student pushing back against us or not engaging with the learning process, this is one question we can ask ourselves. Have we given them any choice lately? Or are we just forcing our agenda on them? Even if we know what's best, are we just pushing them through our process without giving them some self-direction? The next element that I wanted to pull out is that means are valued more than ends. This was in the second quote I read. Play is, a, is an activity in which means are more valued than ends. So what does it mean for means to be more valued than ends? Well, I think this is 
almost the biggest lesson we can take from this exploration today because means being more valued than ends is exactly what we want for all our students in order for them to be self-motivated. Because if means are more valued than ends, that means they're actually enjoying the learning process. They're enjoying the practice process. It's not about achieving that accolade or getting that exam result or performing in that recital. Those things are great, but the means to get there is more enjoyable to them than the end result, or at least more valuable to them in some way. This is a big one, and this is something that a lot of students are lacking. But I believe we need to make the learning process as enjoyable as possible, not through rewards and candy, but through actually making the process of learning more fun in of itself, whether that's with games or with creativity or all of that stuff, or just in the way that we structure it and the way that we plan the challenges that our students face, the means has to be at least as pleasurable, if not more so, than the end product. Otherwise, you're spending 99% of the time doing something you hate just to get to that 1% that you enjoy, and also you're not going to keep playing for life because you don't enjoy the learning process. That's a very important lesson I believe we can take from this definition of play. The next one I wanted to pull out is came up in two of my quotes. So I talked about play is non-literal, imaginative, marked off in some way from reality. And another article talked about creativity expanded using problem-solving skills. So these are both really about the same thing. Surprise, surprise. They're both with um, from Montessori education specialists um, on blogs. So they're both talking about imagination or creativity. And that doesn't just mean improvising in terms of piano lessons. That means everything being more creative. And creativity isn't just about, you know, free form expression. It is about problem solving. That's what real creativity is. It's taking something and looking at it in a different way. And that's what we need for not just future musicians, but for future humans. That's what we need from education these days, right? We need great problem solvers. My dad, he's retired now, but he was a lecturer in architectural technology. And as part of that, he used to help with some of the interviews for the architecture course that they did in his university. So he would do these interviews and he would come home and I would hear him vent a little bit about these students because they could give him all these amazing test scores and maybe they had beautiful drawing skills but if he asked them a simple problem solving based question they had no idea and he knew that once they got into the course they were going to struggle if that was the case because that's a big transition one of the big transitions we make from high school to college is that no one is going to hand you all of the things you have to do and check off a list anymore you need to actually come up with solutions for yourself and even more so in the real world right and that's becoming more and more true as we move forward gone are the days when we mostly needed cogs in a machine that's not what we need we need creative thinkers we need problem solvers the actual machines are going to do the cogs bit more and more they're taking over not to get too sci-fi and scary about it but they are right 
those jobs are being taken over. And so the creative jobs that are left, the problem solving ones, the ones that bots can't do because they're not algorithm based, they're more human. So if we're developing these creative skills, we're preparing the future to have better humans in a way. But if that kind of grandiose thinking is too much for you, then just think about it as being better music students, because they will be. If they're more creative and they think about problems in different ways, then they're going to be better at coming up with their own solutions to practice issues, to technique issues, to whatever comes up in the music practice room. So we need to inject some of that creativity, the problem solving skills, and therefore some input into their own lesson. So we come back to that element of choice. Alongside that, they need to be having their own input into the lessons. We can't just be dictating what they do next at all times or telling them the solution to their problem. They have to come up with it themselves. And sometimes we have to let them try the wrong solution and, you know, let them fall on their face just a little bit and then pick them up and help them come up with a better solution. So that's the imaginative and creative part. It's not just about creativity and composing and improvising. That's part of it too, because that helps develop these skills. But it's also just about more general problem-solving creative skills that they need to develop. And the final thing I wanted to pull out was this non-stressed. This was in the fifth quote that I read from that one article, which was, play involves an active, alert, but non-stressed frame of mind. So if our children, if our students are playing in the lesson, if there is that sense of playfulness, then they're active and alert, they're engaged in the process, but they're not stressed. If they ever are stressed, truly stressed by the process, then we've taken too big of a leap, we've structured it poorly, and we need to dial it back and think again about how we approach this concept or whatever is coming up in the lesson with our student. Is there a way we can approach this or break down the steps further so that it's not stressful for them? It's not too much, it's just right. It's Goldilocks, right? So those are the four elements I wanted to pull out from my little morning researching Maria Montessori. The reason I was on this playfulness kick is that I have a book coming out very soon, in one week, and it's called Playful Preschool Piano Teaching. This book is the how-to guide I wish I had when I started preschool teaching. There are many preschool methods out there, and I have one myself. I have, well, I have several resources designed for preschool teachers inside Vibrant Music Teaching. But this is not that. This is something that I believe didn't exist, which is a book, a book you can just literally read with general best practices and ways to understand the differences when you're teaching preschool students. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to share some excerpts from the book here on the podcast. And when it comes out in about a week from today, you can get the book, find all the links to it at playfulpreschoolpiano.com, playfulpreschoolpiano.com. So that book is coming out in a week, and I'm going to share some excerpts from it. I want to encourage you to stay tuned, even if you're not into the whole preschool thing, because as Gloria St. Germain, who reviewed the book for me, As she said, this is just about good teaching, really. And I said, well, yeah, (laughs) it is. It's about teaching best practices for all children. But I believe that I learned these from my preschool students and they're the most vitally important for those students. 
And as I said, this book wasn't out there. There's no general guide out there. And I wanted it to exist so that more people can feel more confident diving into a preschool music lesson and spreading music to young children because it's so valuable for them. So that book is coming out next week. I also have a webinar coming up all about preschool piano teaching, which you can sign up for at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash foundations. And that will get you access to the webinar when it goes live and the replay for 48 hours afterwards. If you're not a member, of course, if you're a member, you'll get the forever access inside the video library. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this discussion on play and playfulness, and I'll chat to you next week. If you're not yet a Vibrant Music Teaching member and you're interested in teaching preschool piano, then you're going to want to become a member today because I have a one-year curriculum for group preschool piano lessons and also a But the Pieces plan, which is a supplemental plan for private preschool piano lessons inside the video library. So you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.